All right, well, good morning. This is it. Grab your Bibles if you have them. If you don't mind, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. <clears throat> I was thinking about it after last night. Uh, there's, uh, I was able to call my wife and say, how's it going? And I was like, thought of that one thing I wanted to say when I finished, and then I thought, okay, it's like one of the best parts of the whole idea of our suffering, and what it is that we face, and why do we face it, and so you go back to the mom who lost her son, right, we were looking at him last, looking at that last night, and then Jesus gives him back to her, do you think at any point she looked at him and said, well, why'd you let him die in the first place, or do you think that she was just blown away that she got her boy back? Guys, for those that are going through that difficult time, you've got some time to show off. And then to have one of those stories that you can tell to other people going, this is how I saw God come through. Isn't it amazing? We all want the miracle. We want to see a miracle, right? One of those crazy miracles. Well, let me just remind you that when you saw someone surrender to Jesus since you've been up here, that is the greatest miracle that you could watch. But we always want one of those cool ones, quote unquote, those cool ones. But friends, the only reason you need a miracle is if you're in a crisis. The only reason you didn't need a miracle. It's kind of like, we God, do a miracle. Just don't do it in me. Right? Don't do it through me. I don't want to have to face anything. But let me see what happened. Because I think sometimes we want to worship our comfort rather than really experience what it is that God wants us to experience. And it's always for our good. And that's why Paul could say, he says, I want to know Christ. The power of his resurrection. We're like, yeah. The fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Paul's just sitting there going, I want to know everything there is to know about Jesus. That's how much I love him. And that word know there in Philippians, it's to know by experience. It's not information to not know about. He's like, I want to experience Jesus. I just want to experience everything that I can to experience Jesus. The power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. He's like, I want to know everything about him. And he goes, and I haven't, I haven't made it yet. I love that he says that because it means we're all in process. So friends, if you're just kind of in the middle of it, give him some time. You're saying, I want to see God work. Be prepared that he'll bring you up to the point where crisis is right there, whether you're going to watch it straight on because someone that you love is going through it or you're personally facing it. But isn't that the front row seat to the miraculous? If you want to see the miracle, you've got to expect that the crisis, the storm is going to come. But man, I don't think she ever looked at him and said, how dare you let this happen? She just said, praise Jesus. And then they went on their way. So I just want to make sure I got that out there. In Matthew chapter 5, let's pray. We'll jump into this morning and get you all out of here. Father, we give you thanks for another day, another time together to, to, to focus in on you. But God, I admit, uh, for some reason, just it's hard to focus in this morning on you. It wasn't anything that you did. It's just me. Just thinking about other things that I got to get done and things that things I got to do when I get home. And sitting there with my eyes shut, but I wasn't even thinking about you. And I'm so sorry because you are worthy of my attention when it's time to just focus in on you. And so I pray that that you would help us, Holy Spirit, to focus in on what it is that you want to say to us this morning. God, I pray that you would convict and encourage whatever is necessary to make us look like Jesus because all to the glory of the Father. And as I pray often, I pray you take a feeble attempt at making much of Jesus and truly make much of Jesus. So we submit ourselves to you, we yield ourselves to you, be teachable. God, give me words, not my own. I don't want my opinion, I don't want my agenda. Keep me from saying anything that I shouldn't say. And if anything does come out of my mouth that is not of you, give us spiritual amnesia by the time we leave the room. Only your truth, God. We pray this in Chapter 5, verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. I remember years ago, when I was reading, I was just, this is my quiet time. This is my time with Jesus. And honestly, most of the messages that I preach are just me and Jesus. Just he's showing me things. Very rarely am I sitting there going, okay, you want me to preach on this? I'm going to give him this passage because it's always just me and Jesus just hanging out. 
And I remember, because I'd read this before, but for some reason it stood out, and now it's highlighted in my Bible, and it always will be. Whenever I need a new one, I'm going to always highlight this Bible or this verse because it just stood out. And I know that some of you sit there and go, there's nothing to that verse. It's just a narrative setting up what it is that Jesus is about to say. I mean, the Sermon on the Mount is the next part for the next two chapters. That's when Jesus says some pretty straightforward, in-your-face in your kind of things. But this is just descriptive. There's nothing to this. Except there is. Let me read it again. Seeing the crowds, he, Jesus, went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. You see it yet? No? Okay, go back to chapter 4, verse 18. Here we go. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he, this is Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Now, guys, there's a couple things to notice here. One, notice that Jesus is the one who saw the brothers. The brothers did not notice him. And notice that it wasn't at some church service. It wasn't at some religious festival or conference or camp. It was just, they were working. It was a normal day. The fact that they had jobs meant that they didn't make the cut. He said, what do you mean? Guys, in that day, if you were the religious pedigree, you're like you're the top of the class in your little Bible school. We'll just call it Bible school. They wouldn't call it that. But in Bible school, if you're in the top of the class, like middle school age, this is what you would have memorized word for word. Okay, ready? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. All of it. All five books. Memorized. If you made it top of the class mid-high school age, like most of, you, most of you guys, you have the rest of the Old Testament memorized. I mean, you just they just devoured the law. They just read. I mean, not everybody, but like you're in Bible school. Now, these guys didn't make the cut because they had to go get a job. When you don't make the cut, you go like figure out what you're going to do for the rest of your life. So they're fishermen. This is their trade. But this is what every rabbi would do. A rabbi would be the teacher, and this was, this was like the golden ticket. Like we have American Idol Day, they give you the golden ticket. This is the golden ticket for that day. For a rabbi to walk up to someone, it would be, always be a guy, walks up to the boy and says, Hey, follow me. What is it that Jesus said to these two? Follow me. It's the golden ticket, right? Jesus is a rabbi. His reputation is starting to go around. They've met him before. This isn't the first time because you'll see in John, there's an, there's an interaction that's already happening. He says, follow me. They're like, what? Well, I'll make you fishers of men. And that just sounds like a, like a weird camp game, doesn't it? It's like you got the fish and you got the fishermen. So the fish, the fishermen, they run around with nets. You catch all the fish, you drag them in, you beat them with clubs. I'm just joking, not that that's part. But it's like, it just sounds weird. But he's like, hey, I'm going to take what you know and I'm going to give it a purpose. I'm going to take what you know how to do, and I'm going to give it this eternal purpose. Just follow me. I'll give you fishers of men, but I'll, I'll make you fishers of men. But watch the word next. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Guys, they dropped their nets. They dropped their job. They stopped everything, and they followed him. Guys, Simon's married. It doesn't even say that he went home and talked to his wife about it. Can you, can you imagine that conversation? Babe, think about quitting my job. Well, what are you going to do? I just want to hang out with some guys. Jesus and my bro, we're just going to hang out a bunch of men and beards. That's it. We're just going to chill out and go after some fish. It just sounds weird, right? How do you explain it? Like they give up their livelihood so they can go follow Jesus. But it says it was immediate. And then they dropped their nets. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So I think it's, it's one thing to lose, leave your job, but it's another one to look at dad and say, peace, and leave dad. Dad's in the boat. He's like, you bratty kids, get back out. I don't know what he says. But he said, get over here. We're not done working. And they just go. But I wonder how many of you can relate with them. Because right now you're the only follower of Jesus in your home. Like you're it. And you're not encouraged when you go home. In fact, for some of you, you're kind of made fun of. It's almost like when you, you're going to go to a worship gathering, you're going to go hang out with your youth group, going to go hang out with your church. And, and it's kind of like one, maybe one of your parents or one of your siblings is like, why? Why do you do that? Why are you doing that? I remember having a kid in my youth group years and years and years ago. Um, he was the only believer, only follower of Jesus in his family. His dad was a strong atheist. And I remember, uh, and I met with him every Thursday morning his senior year. Met him every Thursday morning before we went to school. So we'd meet up at Denny's for breakfast. Because again, like I said, that's how you can get there. And so it was like 6.30. We 
which I gave him props. I'm like a senior in high school's meeting me at 6, 6.30 in the morning, every Thursday morning. And there was one day he came in, and he was just really kind of, kind of bummed. And I was like, I, I asked him, because normally he was great. He came in, he wanted to share what he was learning the Word, and I mean, this kid was on fire. And he just bummed. I said, like, hey, what's going on? He said, I just had a rough conversation with my dad. I said, well, what happened? He started telling me some of it. And then he goes, and this, at the end, he's like, it's like, you're, it's like you're part of a cult. And I looked at him, and I started smiling. I was like, dude, that's awesome. Because you know what that means? I'm the cult leader. And I've never been a cult leader. And he starts laughing, and I start laughing. I'm like, i got to take advantage of this. I start making some money off people. But it's like, but here's the thing. Like, he notices something different in you. That you're really all in for Jesus. And, and I still don't know if his dad ever came to Jesus. That's probably 20 years ago. The kid's now a pastor in the, in the town where I pastored him. And different church, it's the same town, same area. It's kind of fun to know that. I don't know if his dad ever came to Jesus. I have no clue. But it's one thing when you have everyone in the family that's kind of encouraging you to keep walking with Jesus. It's another thing when you, you feel like you're the only one. And for those that feel like it's the only, you're the only one, can I just encourage you and remind you, Jesus is worth it. Promise. Promise. The other thing, you have a church community. You have Christians around you, guys. I want to say it again, and I really want you, I'm really trying to make sure that I'm trying to make this the normal like chat or conversation or speech of our church community and I'm hoping it just takes off because we've done a really bad job defining what church is church is a place you go to right you want to church you want to come to my church you want to come to my church and really what we're talking about is the building everything happens at the building and guys I don't think there's anything wrong with having a building but just call it a building don't call it the church you don't go to church. We are the church. Again, you look at the word ecclesia. It's not a religious word. It had nothing to do with religion back in the day. The word ecclesia has everything to do with this. This is exactly what it means. It has nothing to do with religion. It has everything to do with this. The gathering of people brought together to fulfill a purpose. A gathering of people brought together to fulfill a purpose. That's church. You don't invite people to church. You, be, you invite them into the community. It's not a place. It's the community. And we're all on purpose together. We're doing something. We're moving forward towards something. But what is it we're supposed to be doing? For those of you, you feel like you're the only one in your family that knows the Lord and everyone kind of ridicules for it. You have a family. You have a community where they're brought together to fulfill a purpose and they love you. You say, oh, my family doesn't. This community doesn't love me. Then you've got to figure out what that looks like. Think about it. It's like we're taking youth pastors. Hang in there. I've been there. I'm a pastor too trying to make sure the community gets along. And sometimes it's, it's hard when the sheep bite you a little bit, but we got to take it. But I'm praying for you. You hang in there. You just treat, keep trying to bring peace. And God's going to bless it, I promise. Those of, in, those of us in the community, instead of trying to fight for our own rights, we strive to serve, outserve one another. You sit there and go, oh, because I'm supposed to as a Christian? No, because we remember that Jesus, who's God Almighty, came to serve. He did not come to be served, but he came to serve. And so the reason I serve is not because it's this sense of duty, but because of Jesus did it, and it's part of the gospel. It's part of his great good news, this great message. I want to live the way that Jesus did, not because I have to, but to emulate him because I want to. So I serve because he served. He says, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and give his life as a ransom for many. Here's what I've noticed. When people in relationships strive to outserve one another, those relationships are usually pretty healthy. My one bit of advice to all married couples is always this. When I'm doing premarital counseling, I said, if you can do one thing, do this. It's like, love Jesus. I'm like, well, of course, but it's past that for just a second. Practical with each other, just outserve each other. Because any time when I don't quote unquote feel in love with my wife, I promise you this, it's 100%, 100% of the time, I'm not serving her. I'm waiting to be served. And if I'm not being served the way that I want to, then I'm irritated. When I serve, oh, hallelujah. But here's the other thing. I can't outserve her because she has a spiritual gift of service. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. I just sit and go, I suck at this. I can't keep up. But I try to make it a competition. I'm telling you, when I serve her well, oh, it's awesome. And when I don't, it's not as good. It's all on me. It's usually me. It's you have a spiritual gift of service, you just keep going. 
I'm telling you, serve one another. You have an issue with somebody? In fact, here's what the Bible actually says, and if it happens while I'm speaking, it's totally fine. I think it's, uh, it's in Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus is sitting there going, hey, if you remember, if you're, like, you're presenting your offering, you remember had some, someone has something against you, he says, leave your offering, go be reconciled with that person, then come back, and then present the offering. You might need to do that. Even if right now, if right now, if he's like, I need to deal with something with somebody, grab the person and walk outside right there, have a chat. Won't bug me at all. I just think, oh, dang, they're working on something. That's fantastic. How important is relationship to God? How important is reconciliation? It's more important than presenting the offering. He's like, I want you to reconcile. Do that first, then come back and present it. As relationships can be hard, but they, they are worth it. So you have a community around you. Those that feel like you're alone, you have a community. And we are brothers and sisters. Guys, what's... You said they go, no, you're not my brother. God, thank you, you're not my brother. I am. If you're a follower of Jesus, I am. You're stuck with me. And don't worry, like, when we're in heaven, I'm not going to be preaching. Nobody gives a rip what the preacher says in heaven. They're going to say, hey, tell me more about Jesus. No one's going to say that because they're just going to be looking at him. So pretty much I have to preach as much as I can now because when I get to heaven, I got nothing. And then I'm going to hear God say, hey, remember... Remember when you tried to teach Haggai? Yeah, you sucked. There was nowhere close. You didn't get that thing at all. So the preachers, there's no preaching in heaven. We're brothers and sisters. Because isn't that which is spiritual everlasting compared to that which is blood? Spirit lasts. Flesh and blood doesn't. So we are family. But watch what he invites them to, okay? Will we invite people to today? Accept Jesus into your life. Hate that phrase, but that's usually how people say it. You want to accept Jesus into your life? Just pray this prayer. And then what do you do after that? Well, you can come to our church. Remember, that's the place. You can sing some songs, listen to some dude talk for too long. As he's talking, try to figure out where you guys want to go to lunch on Sundays. You can just bolt out when you're done, right? You might even hit a youth group. That's when you get to play some fun games and be with people that we really want to be around. We're going to do that. And that's really it. We're just going to come together and hang. We're going to come together and hang. We're going to come together and hang. And I just sit there and go, there's only so much hanging out I can do. Look what he invites them to. What? Verse 22. Um, 23, I'm sorry. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel. He's like, well, that sounds normal. But watch the next part. Proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. Dang. That does not sound like a Sunday morning worship gathering. And I'm not even against Sunday morning. We should have those. In fact, the early church, they met every day in the temple courts to what? To bless God. They met every day. We're doing it once. Good Sundays, but not too long because people, they won't stick there that long. Guys, we're getting a little bit spoiled. God, I want to hang with you, but not too long. I want to get off my life. Guys, this stuff... Doesn't this sound freaky? Like driving out demons? You ever had that happen? This gets a little weird. Like, oh, I don't, I don't want to talk. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about demons. Or I don't believe in demons. Like, well, do you believe in angels? Well, I like them. There's been movies and shows about them. Yeah, there's been movies and shows about the other ones too. I'm not allowed to watch. I hate watching those things. I won't even watch them now. Guys, I believe in the demonic. I believe that there's an enemy who hates our soul. Why? Because we're created in the image of God. He hates all of humanity because we bear the image of God. Guys, can you imagine just watching this happen? Or the paralytics. Guys, one of my favorite passages is in Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, Jesus is at Simon's house. It's packed. I mean, the whole place is packed. And no one can get in. And all Jesus is doing is just teaching. And people are glued to what he's saying. But... There's these four friends. They're sitting there going, okay, we got to get our friend in. Why? Because their friend's paralyzed. We got to get him. Okay, let's go. So they, they put him in some kind of makeshift cot and they run him over to where Jesus is at Simon's house, but it's packed. People are outside the door. They're trying to lean in to hear what it is that Jesus is saying. And as they get closer, can you imagine the guy in the cot just going, guys, it's okay. Like we just wait or just maybe tomorrow or like, don't worry about it. I love the friends though. Because the friends are like, shh, shh. Let's think outside the box. Okay, we can't get through the door. And then dude goes, let's go down through the roof. They're like, yeah. Whose house is that? I don't know. 
Let's just dig a hole through the roof, lower him down. What do you say? Maybe the guy on the cot's going, I don't like that plan. And they're all going, what are you going to do about it? You're paralyzed. So they just take him to the top. He's just laying there going, no, no, you keep talking. We're bringing you up. And so they bring him to the top. Then they start digging a hole through the roof. Can you imagine Simon over here listening to Jesus? And part of his roof goes, click. Then he looks up and he sees hands starting to tear away part of his roof so that they can lower the... And I, I just picture him just going, that's my roof. But then I picture Jesus going, that's faith. I used to picture Jesus angry. When I was a legalist, I used to picture him always mad. And I sitting there going, how dare you interrupt my message? I was on point number two, fill in the blank. Now people don't have the fill in the blank answer. Now I picture it because the more I've hung out with Jesus, I just see him a little bit more playful than we give him credit for. As pieces start to fall, he's sitting there going, yes. And then looks back and see, at Simon going, yeah. And Simon's like, this is great. No, it's not. And his wife's going, that's our roof. I know Jesus likes it. And all of a sudden it gets big enough and then they start to bring him over to lower him down. He's sitting there going, I don't want to go. Shh, you can't move. And they just start lowering him down. Can you imagine what he feels like? He's like, how y'all doing? He just comes to the ground. Guys, he cut in line. Like all these people got there early. He's now in the front. He's on the floor. Jesus is standing over him. His four friends' heads are through the hole trying to hear what it is that's going on, watching the whole thing. And what they're picturing is that all of a sudden Jesus is going to heal him right then. And Jesus goes, hey, your sins are forgiven. I'm going to be honest, guys. If I'm the dude in the cot laying in front of everybody, and I hear him go, your sins are forgiven. I'm like, great. That's not why we're here. Pretty sure we, I'm pretty sure they dug the hole that I could walk. But I'm, I really, thanks for the blessing. Thank you. And then Jesus goes, hey, I, hold on. Not, that's not it. I said that so that everyone here knows that I have the authority to, if I have the authority to forgive sins, watch this. Pick up your mat and walk out of here. You imagine the friends are going, hold your breath. And what did it look like all of a sudden? He goes, he sits up. He brings it all together. Every jaw just drops. All the heads up in the up in the ceiling are going, what? This dude just starts bawling his eyes out. And he starts to walk, and the friends are like, oh my gosh, it works! And all of a sudden, they're climbing down the roof, and one, try, one guy tries to jump off and gets paralyzed. But I'm just joking. They get down, and, and then they see their friend. It wouldn't just be like a bunch of guys. Guys, why didn't we do this? A bunch of guys. If, if one of you just got healed from being paralyzed, what did you look at and say, do this race? Who's fastest? Let's go. And would it be just like Jesus to make sure that that person ran like a gazelle? You're like, oh man. I'm not sure. Hey, that's awesome. It's like, what? I mean, guys, can you imagine all that that happened? And you're one of the disciples that gets to watch it. And then somehow Jesus ascends, leaves his Holy Spirit, and the church, at least in the States, seems like it's fallen to sleep. And I wonder if it's because the enemy just holds the church going, shh, I don't want you to wake up. I'll keep you as comfortable as you want. I'll keep you warm and fed. I just don't want you to wake up. Why? Because the church, when it awakes, terrifies the gates of hell. If we just keep fighting for comfort, not really engage in the mission, you say, well, that's Jesus. Look at what he did. But Jesus looked at his disciples and said, I'm getting ready to go. But you're going to do greater things than you've seen me do. Says, does God still heal immediately? And you sit there and go, well, he didn't heal my friend or my mom or my dad. or, But does he still do it? Absolutely. But they say, oh, I've never seen it. you got to get out there. I mean, it's really hard to see healing if the only thing that we're doing is reading the Bible. We get out there and we start praying and asking. And I remember there's this one young lady... This might have been five years ago now. I was leading just our Thursday night worship gatherings for our church. Mostly all young adults, but brought everybody in. She's probably 23, 24, maybe 25, give or take, mid-20s. And she and her boyfriend would always sit in the back. So I'd finish the message, but I never got to meet them. And then I've tried to meet them, but after when, I, when everything's over, 
I tried to make it to the back, but it was, it was, a, it was a room about this size. And then everyone just kind of collapses on the center aisle, and I can't get through, and then we're going to have a conversation that I always bolt. And so this is like two or three months in. So on a Sunday morning, this is not the other campus, senior pastors, he, at the end, he goes, hey, the pastors are going to come forward, just wait, and if you want prayer, they'll be there. And I thought, oh, they tell us, we're ready to go. Okay. I googled prayer, so I'm just joking. So I'm, I'm ready. And I see this young lady and her boyfriend, they came that morning. She comes walking up, and I'm like, oh, thank goodness, I'll finally get to meet them. So they come up and said, hey, I'm Brian, I've been wanting to meet you. We kind of did the whole little small talk thing. I said, how can I pray for you? And she starts tearing up. She goes, can you, pray, can you pray for my shoulder? And I, in my mind, I started thinking, you're, you're tearing up over your shoulder? Like, is it like you slept on it wrong? Or like, <laughs> I don't understand. Why would you cry over your shoulder? So I said, well, explain what's going on. And then tears are streaming. And she can barely get the words out. And she's saying things like, I'm going, I'm, 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 at, I'm at USC right now, and I'm working on physical therapy, my, my PhD in physical therapy. And I was like, oh. I said, if... If God doesn't heal you, you can't do what you always wanted to do. Is that what you're saying? <gasps> like ugly cry. <laughs> it just comes out, right? I said, well, let's pray. I said, I don't know what's going to happen. I said, let's pray. And so as right before I started to pray that passage, it's in Matthew chapter 8 when the leprous person comes to Jesus. And all the leprous person says, doesn't even ask Jesus to do anything, just makes a statement of faith. It says, if you want to, you can make me clean. If you want to, you can heal me. That's all he says. And Jesus' response, anybody remember it? He says, I'm willing to be clean. Boom, just like that. So that came to my mind. I went, okay. He's like, come here. So I put my hand on his shoulder. I put my hand on her shoulder. Not hard. <laughs> I was like, I didn't go, God, <laughs> just to see if it hurt. I just put my hand on their shoulders. We're all kind of, we're, we're kind of huddled up. And I just simply did this. I said, Jesus, if you want to, you can heal her. Amen. And they kind of, they kind of looked up going, that's it? Aren't you the professional? We kind of expected a little bit more, like maybe we'd levitate around the room. That didn't happen like nothing. So I looked at it and said, hey, how's it feel? Because I just believe this. If you're going to pray for somebody's healing, ask them right then. You feel better? Anything changed? So she moves it. She goes, I think it feels better. I'm like, okay. I didn't say that to her face, but in my mind. I said, how about this? How about by tomorrow? Like tomorrow morning, just send me an email. I said, I wrote down my email on a piece of paper. I said, just send me an email. Let me know how it is. Because I didn't think I'd hear from her. I come in the office. I open up my computer. There's hers is first. I click on it and it is long. And I thought, okay, this could be good, or this could be really bad. Like she might just be telling me off, and your God sucks. And I'm like, oh, just bear down. Here we go. We're gonna get ready. And I start reading, and in the beginning it says, "Praise God." And I went, well, this is good. She goes, last night's the last. Last night's the first night in ten years I slept through. I actually screamed. I went, bah! My assistant's outside my door going, you okay? Yeah, I'm just reading emails. Bah! <laughs> just screaming. And then I just keep reading. It's just this long explanation. You can tell she just has verbal diarrhea. Just, just coming out. And then at the end she goes, even if he healed me only for one day, I know that God is able. It's almost like if he, if he changes, if he decides like tomorrow to go back to hurting, I know that God can do it. And I sat there and I was like, Man, you've got some sweet faith. That you can actually go, if he decides to put me back to what I was before, I know that God can. So then I reply. But have you ever gotten a long message and felt the pressure to make the long, like your reply has to be as long or you don't care as much? Anybody besides me? I have a hard time with that. I don't know if it's just us guys. Maybe, maybe, maybe some of you guys are like Shakespeare. You're like, not me, thee and thou. Roses are red, violets are just red. I couldn't do it. I mean, mine was like three sentences. And I just said, this is, I just said, praise God. How amazing is this? Here's the thing. Email me again on Wednesday. And I didn't think I'd hear from her. So I come in on Wednesday. There's an email. She goes, Brian, yesterday's the first time I went swimming in years. It didn't hurt. Went, what? I mean, I'm, my prayer wasn't even impressive. I didn't say justification or sanctification or glorification. I didn't say any of the fancy Asian words of our prayers. I didn't use all the names. Of, I didn't use all the names of God, Father in heaven, creator of the ends of the earth, Alpha and Omega, beginning and end, King of kings and Lord of lords. I didn't say anything. I just said, Jesus, if you want to, you can. Just a statement of faith. And 
She's coming back saying, I swam yesterday. So a week goes by. She comes to the Thursday worship service, and I'm standing outside chatting, hanging with all the young adults and chatting with them and having a blast. And she walks up and she goes, Brian, can I tell you something else that happened? I'm like, I'm tiny. I said, of course you can tell me. She goes, I went to my physical therapist earlier today. And he's all moving around like Frankenstein. See whatever they do. Just make sure. And then he stops. He looks at me and says, I don't know what happened. But it's like you never got hurt. And she just got tears in her eyes. And I got tears in my eyes. And I, I mean, I didn't say anything. Like I just hugged her. I still did it softly because I was like, can you imagine the healing? And I hug her hard. Bam, it just goes back out. So just go quite this softly. Friends, she's still healed. She's now a physical therapist at one of the most impressive places you could ever work. That's in Pomona. And I just sat there like, God, you're amazing. Last Sunday, I was up speaking at another camp, middle school camp. And all this happens when I'm gone. This part happened when I'm gone. I'm like, that's not fair. It was a great reminder. I'm not that necessary. I'm not even needed. There's a few college kids. There's two college guys that play on the Pomona, the Pomona Pitzer College basketball team. And I call them the puppies because they're, so, they're always excited. Like, <laughs> no matter what comes up, they're just like, <laughs> they're ready to go. So I call them the puppies. And then they've been bringing a young lady since the fall from, from their college. Um, she, has, she, uh, she wasn't a believer. And then on Thursday, I see one of the puppies, and he's just not the norm. It's like, hey, you all right? He's like, dude, I've got this back spasm going on. I'm like, oh, dude, I'm sorry. Um, he's like, no, I saw a doctor, gave me some stuff. And he, he looked a little bit loopy. And I'm like, yeah, he gave you some stuff. <laughs> and so they just leave. And so then I fly up to where I'm speaking. And I'm waiting at the airport. And this dude texts me, all caps, which means he's yelling at me, right? Isn't that what I mean? He's yelling at me. You, you need to call me right now. So I got through all security, all this stuff. And I'm calling. I go, what's going on? He goes, okay, dude. Dude, <laughs> he just said, dude, like 20, dude, okay, dude, 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 this is, dude, this is what happened, dude, pay attention. I'm like, I am. You've been talking for 12 minutes. I haven't heard any part of the story yet. And so he just keeps going. And then he goes, okay, my back's killing me this morning. I couldn't even stand up for worship. So the message is done. They say, hey, let's stand for our last worship song. I can't stand up. I'm in so much pain. Everyone else is standing around me. That young lady who didn't know the Lord, all of a sudden, uh, and I hear her part of the story, she hears this thing in her head go, just pray for him. She's like, oh, wait, but she's not a believer. God can talk to whoever he wants to talk to. So she just puts his hand, puts her hand on his shoulder and starts to pray. No joke. In fact, my assistant's husband watches this young man who's sitting there, can't get up. He jumps up and he goes like this and he looks at her and he just starts to worship. Like God healed him right there and she gave her life to Christ. Guys, I'm just sitting there going, I'm thinking the reason that God doesn't do what he wants to do is because we don't ask. We ask, just ask him. Well, I've asked, I've asked once and it didn't happen. There is something called persistence in prayer. Until we hear no, we keep praying. It's like, well, why doesn't he just do it the first time? Because maybe the ultimate purpose behind you praying hard and praying a lot is that you learn to abide in Jesus more than just give Jesus your order. What's the purpose of prayer? To give God information he doesn't know? Guys, when my, when my boys were younger, they, they really liked two things that I don't like. And you, you may judge me for one of them, and that's okay. I don't understand Pokemon. I don't understand it. I know that's somebody said, they're going, that's my jam. I don't understand it at all. I feel like every, I feel like every show I watch, the Pokemon, at the end I'd sit there and go, was there a writer? Or did they just make it up as they went? But then there's like, Dad, you want to play Pokemon? You want to play? You want to play? It's a card game, I guess. I'm like, sure. And so I tell me, the first time, it's like, tell me the rules. Well, you just got to make sure you have the more power than this. And I don't have a clue what they're talking about. So they give me the cards and I go, okay, boom. And then the they both go, you lose. I'm like, why did I lose? Because I had fire, you had water. I'm like, oh my gosh, what is this game? I'm done in like eight seconds. I'm like, I hate this. And then the other thing they watched was Power Rangers. Okay, I, for a second, if one of your family members was one of the stars of Power Rangers, I mean no disrespect. But oh my gosh. I just, 
it was just so corny. And there's like, and every, every episode was the exact same story. There's like some drama going on between t- a couple of them, and then they're trying to work it out. And then there's a big lesson you learn at the end. But in the midst of the drama, you got to fight. And so you put on your stuff and go all crazy. And then you go and you're fighting, you're beating them up, and the dude gets big, right? I was like, I just remembered I can get big and goes big. And then he starts beating the crap out of all of them. And they're like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? Oh, wait, we can get big. We forgot since yesterday. So they get big. And then they just tear the dude apart, they destroy him. And then they come back to their little home base of their home. They're like, I think you're great. I think you're great too. The end. And I'm like, I hate this show. (laughs) That's every episode, right? (laughs) So I'd miss an episode and I'd come in and one of my boys like, Dad, can I, you want to know what happened on Power Rangers? In reality, in my head, I'm like, no, that's why I didn't come downstairs. I hid in my room, so I did not have to watch that. But every time, I was like, Dad, do you want to know what happened? Every time I said, absolutely. I pushed everything to the side and I'd listen. Why? Because I didn't know what happened. Of course I knew what happened. I just loved the fact that my boys wanted to talk to me. I just loved the fact that they wanted to talk to their dad. That's the purpose of prayer. God just loves hearing from us. So maybe the purpose of prayer is not to get God to change his mind, but to get us in line with what it is that he's already planned. Friends, I'm convinced he's unfolding his plan. He's not coming up with it every day. He's unfolding it. My purpose in prayer, God, let me do what you want me to do. But when Jesus taught taught his disciples to pray, he said what? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Father, Abba. Remember Abba? so personal. Hallowed means holy. Elevate both. When you only elevate holy, you become an arrogant, egotistical jerk Christian. When you only elevate all Abba, you become one who takes advantage of God's grace. You're okay with the fact that Jesus was bloodied and bruised and battered for you. It's like, I can do whatever I want because because God is dad. When you elevate him as holy and father, that's the sweet spot. And then he says this, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we start with. And it's not usually how we pray. So that's why I can look at him when somebody's hurt and go, Jesus, if you want to, you can heal. If you want to, you can do it. Because if he doesn't want to, are we okay then also? Trusting that he still has something good in mind. I look at all these things and the healings that he's doing and I sit and go, wow, this is what we've been invited to be part of? And here's why chapter 5, verse 1 means so much to me. Watch. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Notice the only ones that came up to, that came with Jesus when he climbed the mountain. Notice the only ones that showed up were the disciples. The crowd just wanted his stuff. The disciples wanted him. Friends, we don't need any more converts if they're not followers. We don't need more Christians that aren't following. Jesus did not say, go get people converted. He didn't say, go make more Christians. What he said is, go make disciples. Go make followers. And baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey all that I've commanded we can do this. It's the great commission. It's not a good commission. It's the great commission. It's the one mission that every single person has been called to. And, and some people say, well, I mean, okay, so you're part of the great commission as you're a pastor. Like, everyone has a part to fulfill the great commission. No. My ministry does not equal my mission. I'm a pastor. My call is to love and to care for God's people. And after that, outside of that, I'm still on the mission to go make disciples. Brian, I don't have the spiritual gift of evangelism. That's nothing to do with the spiritual gift of evangelism. Go make disciples. I was like, oh, it's terrifying. I know it's terrifying. But why should I do it? Because we just believe that Jesus came from heaven to earth. He came for us. He emptied himself. He came, he died, came back from the dead and resurrected and ascended. 
So if he did all of that to come get me, then the least that I can do is introduce people to a Jesus that I say that I completely adore. Never to do it out of guilt. Never to do it out of duty. But I get to what? Here's evangelism in one word. Brag. I get to brag about Jesus. I just get to talk about how great he is. Brian, I don't know all the answers. No one can argue with your story. No one. You may not be able to take every question that any person gives that's going to challenge your faith. They cannot question your story. You share the story. You share your story that's encapsulated in God's story, the gospel, the good news. And if they sit there and go, I don't want it, move to the next. We keep going. We keep going. We keep going. Guys, we can do this. And somebody say, Brian, we're teenagers. I know. You're unstoppable. And it's not because you're great. It's because Jesus in you is great. Guys, I was telling the leaders this before. David beats up Goliath as a 15-year-old kid. It's a solid day as a teenager. You're told, okay, go check on your brothers. The battlefield, go. Go check on them. Okay. And you take all the food that you're supposed to, and you check on them, and then it's, it's so fun to watch because then you see the oldest brother. He's like, you're just here to see what's happening. It's like they get in a little fight like brothers. I'm like, that's why I know the Bible's real. This is fantastic. They're fighting on a battlefield. And so he hears what's happening. Goliath, nine-foot giant, comes out and makes fun of God and the armies of God. And David's like, who's this guy? And they tell him, it's like, he's given a challenge. Anybody who goes out and fights him, if they win, then what will the king? Wait, I get to marry the king's daughter, and I don't have to pay taxes. So money and women, hello? What 15-year-old's not all about that? He's like, I'll do that. He's not going to make fun of my God. 15-year-old kid. And it says he's a small, ready guy. Now, it says he's handsome. Ladies, this is the Renaissance man. He's a warrior. He writes poetry and songs. He's a musician, and he sings. It's like, dang. And he's fun to look at. Guys, I'm telling you, they're out there. Okay, so he he goes over to Saul. He's like, I'll do it. I'll do it. Saul's like, I'm not going to send a kid. I'm not going to send a kid. And all of a sudden, okay, I'll send you a kid. Here's my armor. And he's just, there's this little kid going, I can't move in this. So he takes it off, picks up five stones. I love commentators when they say, he picked up five stones because there was him and four brothers. I'm like, maybe he picked up five stones in case he missed. Maybe it's just smart to do if you're going to get in a battle, take more than one rock. I don't know. Just do that. So he picks up five, puts them in a pocket, goes out there. So it's not a slingshot. It's one that goes around like this. So it's like two straps of leather, a little pocket at the end. He's just like sitting there and go, this guy comes out. He's mocking like crazy. And he's just like, boom, nails him in the forehead, sinks in his forehead, and the dude drops. And then David picks up that guy's sword and cuts off his head. And then he took it home. And that's where he's sitting there going, I don't know if I want to date that guy. He picked up the dude's head and took it home. Can you imagine when he gets home? Mom's like, hey, how, how's, how are the boys? They're doing great, Mom. He's got a big old bag. Doing great. How was the day? That was all right. What'd you do? I beat this guy up. <laughs> He's a 15-year-old kid. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You heard that story? Goes to the fiery furnace. Teenagers, when they go in. And when God decides to invade the planet as a person, he picks the womb of a teenage girl. Friends, when people look at you and tell you that you're too young to do great things for Jesus, it's because they're too old. At some point, they forgot that God loves using the teenager. The only thing stopping you from being used by Jesus in an incredible way is you. Guys, all we have to say is this. Lord, here I am. Send me. That's it. And the same God that empowered all these people to be sitting there go, I can never do this. Every single person in the scriptures, if they could look at you straight in the face, they would sit there and go, you actually think it was us? We're people like you. That God just played a practical joke on us one time and said, hey, why don't you come try something new? I'm going to just freak you out along the way. And I said, yes, and it blew us away. And they made mistakes along the way. They have a nature just like us. If Jesus says you're going to do greater things than you've seen me do, guys, if you have the Holy Spirit in you, you have the God of the universe residing in you to get it done. The mission is still going. It's time to go and stop waiting for them to come. We are disobedient to the command that Jesus gave every disciple of Jesus. We debate. People are really smart in seminaries, and they're going, what did Jesus really mean by the word go? 
What do you mean by go? Was it one time go? Was it many times go? All the while, people are passing by them who are on their way to hell because we Christians are trying to figure out how to not have to obey the commandment. It's a command. Go make disciples. I'm not sure how much more clear it could get. If I look at my boys and I say, guys, go clean your room. And then I go up an hour later and it's not, nothing close. And they're sitting there going, we were trying to figure out what you meant by clean. Like, did you want us? I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I want you to pick up all your junk. And I go away again and I come back. What happened, guys? Ah, we're still trying to figure that out. And you sit there and go, boy, your boys need some help. What's our excuse? Go make disciples. High schoolers, if you're in a public school, welcome to your mission field. Private school, welcome to your mission field. Guys, I do private school my whole life. I know, like, no, we're all Christian. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's cute. Guys, I know, I know it's not true. It's like, oh, every person that goes to Christian school is a Christian. That's like saying everybody who walks into a McDonald's turns into a Big Mac. That's not how it works. <laughs> Right, I'm homeschooled. You got a neighborhood? Here's what I say. This is our mantra at my, with my community. Your mission field starts in your zip code. Every missionary, this is Charles Spurgeon, every missionary is, every, every, every Christian is a missionary or an imposter. Every Christian is a missionary. Missionary is not just those who go around the world and use a, they need a passport in, their, in order to share Jesus. Every follower of Jesus is called to make followers of Jesus. Disciples who make disciples who make disciples. That's what we're called to. And that's what we can do when we're willing to do what? Drop the nets. When Jesus calls, you drop the nets and you follow. And this is the stuff we need to see. So, here's how we're going to end it. you got to land the plane. He said no. Here we go. Only if you mean it. This is only, don't lie. Like, don't use this as an opportunity. It's like, I'm really trying to get to know this girl, and she loves the Lord, and I'm not really there, but if I stand up, she'll think I'm hot. Don't do that. God doesn't like the lie. In fact, read Acts chapter 5. God kills a couple of people that do that during the worship gathering. So don't lie. If somebody drops dead right now, we're going to know what happened, okay? If I drop dead, well, that's just because I'm older. Okay, so here we go. <laughs> just ship my body home. Okay, so here it goes. Um, and this is for everyone in the room, not just students. Believe, oh God, I want to be. I want, I'm, I want to follow. Wherever you want, I'm yours. I want to do it. I'm all in. I'm all in. This isn't salvation. This is, I'm, I'm accepting what I've always supposed to be doing. I've always supposed to have been doing this, but I'm in. I want to make disciples. I want to follow what you told me to do, and I want to follow you. But first, before you say, I'm going to go do the work, do the work, do the work. Oh, learn to just abide in Jesus. Love being with Jesus. Get in his word. Get in prayer because just love him. Be quiet with him. Be in solitude. Learn to love him. And then everything flows out of that. Does that make sense? If you're saying, Jesus, I'm all in. Here's what you're going to do. If I start to pray, you're not going to do it yet. As I start to pray, you're going to take your hands and whatever those nets are. Remember the disciples, they dropped their nets and they followed. Whatever those nets are, you're going to drop them. For some, it might be unforgiveness. Like you're just holding on to something. I can't. I don't want to. God hasn't done this because, and you're bitter. You're turning more bitter and bitter and it's like, I'm not going to forgive them unless they ask for it. Guys, you realize how, how unhealthy that is? Maybe forgiveness is really for you more than for them. You ever think of that? Because as long as you don't forgive, you're under their tyranny still. It's like, but Brian, you don't know what they did. I know. I know, and God still says forgive. Ah, it's so hard, I know. So don't do it because I just am supposed to. Do it because you remember that Jesus forgave you a great debt. And if he did that for me, then I need to no matter what. Why? Because God wants you free from it. For others of you, it might be sin. You need to drop it. You need to follow Jesus. None of this halfway in, halfway out. This part's Jesus, and this part's me. And you may sit there and go, well, Brian, I don't think he's worth it yet. Well, then make the decision. But my prayer will be this, that the hound of heaven will continue to chase after you and cause you not to sleep until you surrender to Jesus. Because then you'll find that his grace is absolutely amazing. It could be a relationship that's keeping you from really chasing after Jesus. Maybe guys, maybe someone's here, I don't have a clue. No one, no one has told me a thing. 
But if you're in a dating relationship that's not pushing you closer to Jesus, but pulling you away from him, you need to break up. We're in love. No. That's cute. That's Disney. I'm telling you, just wait for someone who loves Jesus more than they love you. You'll be loved amazingly well. You need to break up. They're not pushing you. They're not moving you. They're not, they're not spurring you on toward Jesus and greater things with God. You got friend, like if your best friends, <clears throat> they're taking you away from Jesus, get some new ones. Like, oh, I don't know, we're supposed to make an impact. I know, but get your, get your tightest friends, those who know Jesus, that they can keep moving you forward with Jesus and then make an impact on your friends. Friend, if I do this, I'll lose all my friends. Friend, think about it. If you surrender everything to Jesus and say, I'm all in, you're going to lose your friends, I don't think you have any. Like kick him to the curb and get some real ones. Yes, God wants great things for you. I'm, just saying, I'm not saying become a hermit. I'm saying engage in the community that God has given you that's all about Jesus and let them love you and you love them in return. And then figure out when we start to fight and bicker, we figure out how to reconcile rather than just post it and trash each other online. We show the world what it looks like to be family. Whatever that net is that you need to let go of, you're going to stand up and you're going to drop it as I pray. That's all you're going to do. Does make sense? So as I begin to pray, you're saying, Jesus, I'm all in. You're just going to stand up and you're going to take your hands. You're just going to do this and then just leave your hands open to your side. And then I'm going to be done. Cool? No more stories. No more, oh, I remembered a passage. <laughs> Let me just pray. Okay? This is, if that's you, you're going to stand up. If not, I respect you for staying seated. Let's pray. So, Father, for those of us who stand, we say we're all in. We're all in for your purpose. We're all in for your glory. We're all in for your mission. You have called us. You have called us. You've invited us to follow you. You've invited us to make an impact. You've invited us to make disciples. You've invited us to invest and impact eternity. So God, we, as we stand, those of us who are standing, we say we're in, like whatever it takes. Because we believe the message of the gospel is the great news. It's the greatest news on the planet. But I pray, God, that you'd help all of us, myself included, that we would just want to share amazing. We want, we want to. It just consumes us. God, we thank you that you will gosh, you will orchestrate us meeting people who need to hear about Jesus. That you've just told us to go. God, please. Make the book of Acts look like JV with what you're going to do through us. And those who are standing, God, I pray that their cities, their towns, oh, just look completely, completely different. And their schools, Oh, I pray every student would come to Jesus. He knows the Christian school that the state pays for. God, I just pray it's gnarly. God, we are yours. No matter what, no matter what it means. And there'll be some great days and we'll experience persecution. You've told us we will. But Jesus, you're worth it. So God, use us for your purpose, for your glory, that the world would know you. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everything that we say. Amen. Love you all more than you know. Love you all more than you know. Think you got so what questions right behind me? Take a picture of that. Guys, have a great, great rest of your time here.